0: you are listening to the mystical city of god in a year podcast i'm father edward looney and throughout the year i'm reading and reflecting on the four volume over 2500 page work by the venerable maria of agrida if you would like to discuss today's readings you can do so by heading over to facebook and finding the mystical city of god in a Year podcast group page and there you can share your own thoughts and insights about today's readings with others who are listening and following along. If you would like to support this free podcast, you can do so by sending a tip to Venmo, to the handle Mystical City of God. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria Vagarda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate, teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady, teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 321, and we are reading from Volume 4, Book 8, Chapter 1, Paragraphs 374 to 384. 374. The Most Blessed Mary thanked the owners who were to live with her, then she retired to her room and prostrated upon the ground, as was usual in her prayers. She adored the immutable essence of God, offering to sacrifice herself in the service in this city and saying, Lord God omnipotent, by the immensity of thy divinity, thou fillest all the heavens and the earth. Jeremiah twenty three twenty four. I, thy humble handmaid, desire to fulfill entirely thy holy will on all occasions, in all places, and at all times in which thy providence shall deign to place me. For thou art my only good, my being and my life, and toward thy pleasure and satisfaction tend all my thoughts, words, and actions. The most prudent mother perceived that the Lord accepted her prayer and her offering, and that he responded to her desires with divine power, ready to assist and govern her always. 375. She continued her prayer for the Holy Church and laid out her plans for the assistance of all the faithful. She called her angels and sent some of them to aid the apostles and disciples whom she knew to be much pressed in the persecutions raised by the demons through infidel men. In those days, St. Paul fled from Damascus before the attacks of the Jews, as he himself mentions in the second epistle to the Corinthians, where he says that he was let down from the walls of the city in a basket, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-three to defend him from these perils and those with which Lucifer threatened him on his way to Jerusalem. The great queen of angels sent her angels to be his guard and protection, for the wrath and fury of hell was roused against St. Paul more than against any of the other apostles. This is the journey of the apostle himself refers to in his letter to the Galatians one eighteen, where he says that after three years he went to Jerusalem to visit St. Peter. These three years are not to be counted from the time of his conversion, but from the time he had returned from Arabia to Damascus. This is to be inferred from the text itself, for after stating that he returned from Arabia to Damascus, he immediately adds that after three years he went up to Jerusalem. If those three years are counted from the time before his sojourn in Arabia, the text would occasion much confusion. 376 With greater clearness, this may be proved by computing the time and death of St. Stephen and the journey of the Most Blessed Virgin to Ephesus. For counting from the day of his nativity, St. Stephen died at the end of the 34th year of Christ. By counting them from the day of the circumcision, as the Church does now, St. Stephen died seven days before the completion of his 34 years, before the seven days before the 1st of January. The conversion of St. Paul happened in the year 36 on the 25th of January. If he had come to Jerusalem three years afterwards, he would have found there the Most Holy Mary and St. John, while he himself says that he had not seen any one of the apostles there, except St. Peter and St. James the Less, who was called Elpheus. If the Holy Queen and St. John had at that time been in Jerusalem, St. Paul would certainly not have missed seeing them, and he would have mentioned at least St. John. Yet he says that he had not seen him. The explanation is that St. Paul came to Jerusalem in the year 40, four years after his conversion, and a little less than a month after the Most Blessed Mary had departed for Ephesus. St. Paul had entered the fifth year of his conversion, and the other apostles, except the two he saw, had already left Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel of Christ, each one in his appointed province. Three seventy-seven. Conformably with this reckoning, we must assume that St. Paul spent the first year after his conversion or the greater part of it in journeying to Arabia and preaching the gospel there, then the three following years in Damascus. Hence, the evangelist Luke in the ninth chapter of his Acts of the Apostles, although he says nothing of Paul's journey to Arabia, nevertheless says that for many days after his conversion, the Jews of Damascus plotted to take his life, these many days referring to the four years thus passed. Then he adds that his disciples, aware of the plots of the Jews on a certain night, lowered him in a basket from the city walls, and thus dispatched him on the journey to Jerusalem. There, although knowing of his miraculous conversion, the apostles and the new disciples nevertheless retained a certain fear and suspicion of his not persevering, because he had been such a professed enemy of Christ our Savior. Hence, they at first held themselves aloof from St. Paul, until St. Barnabas spoke to them and introduced him to St. Peter. St. James, and other disciples, Acts 26:27. St. Paul prostrated himself at the feet of the vicar of Christ, kissed them in acknowledgment of his errors and sins, begging to be admitted as one of his subjects and as a follower of his master, whose holy name and faith he desired to preach at the cost of his blood. 3.78. From the fear and suspicion of St. Peter and James concerning the perseverance of St. Paul, We can likewise deduct that he arrived in Jerusalem in the absence of the Most Blessed Mary and St. John, for he would have presented himself first of all to her to allay suspicion against him, and the two apostles would likewise have first asked her whether they could trust St. Paul. All of them would have been set at ease by the Most Prudent Lady, as she was so solicitous and attentive in consoling and instructing the apostles especially St. Peter. But since the great lady had already left for Ephesus, they had no one to assure them of constancy of St. Paul. And St. Peter reassured himself of it at seeing him thus prostrate at his feet. Thereupon he was received with great joy of soul by St. Peter and the other disciples. All of them gave humble and fervent thanks to the Most High and commissioned St. Paul to preach in Jerusalem. This he gladly did to the astonishment of all the Jews who knew him. As his words were like burning arrows that penetrate into the hearts of all that heard him, they were struck with terror, and in two days all Jerusalem was roused by the news of his arrival, flocking to see him with their own eyes. Three seventy nine, Lucifer and his demons were not asleep on this occasion, for they were visited by the Almighty with an increase of torment at the arrival of St. Paul. The divine power so evident in him oppressed and paralyzed the infernal dragons, but as their pride and malice shall never be extinguished through all eternity of their existence, Psalm seventy-three twenty-three, they were roused to fury as soon as they recognized the divine virtue as flowing from Paul. Lucifer, with incredible rage, called together many legions of the demons and exhorted them anew to rouse themselves and exert all the forces of their malice for the entire destruction of St. Paul not to leave any stone turned in Jerusalem and in the world for the attainment of this object. The demons, without delay, set about this work exciting Herod and the Jews against the Apostle, and directing their attention to the burning zeal with which he began to preach in Jerusalem. 3.80 The great Mistress of Heaven perceived all this from her retirement in Ephesus. For in addition to the knowledge of all things through her heavenly science, she received information of all that happened to St. Paul from the angels. She had sent for his defense. As the most blessed mother expected, the disturbance about to be raised by the malice of Herod and the Jews, especially against St. Paul, and as, on the other hand, she knew of the importance of preserving his life for the exaltation of God's name and the spread of the gospel, the great queen was filled with new solicitude and regret at being absent from Palestine, where she could have rendered more immediate assistance to the apostles. Therefore, she sought to furnish it, so much the more abundantly from Ephesus by multiplying her prayers and petitions, her ceaseless tears and sighs, and by other measures through the hands of her holy angels. In order to allay her anxieties, the Lord, one day in her prayer, assured her that he would fulfill her petitions and protect the life of St. Paul in this danger and in these assaults of the devil. And so he did. For one day St. Paul, while praying in the temple, was raised to an ecstatic rapture, and filled with the most exalted enlightenment and understanding, wherein the Lord commanded him immediately to leave Jerusalem and save his life from the hatred of the unbelieving Jews. 3.81 Hence, St. Paul sojourned in Jerusalem at the time, not more than fifteen days, as he himself says in his epistles to the Galatians. Galatians 1.18 After some years he returned thither from Miletus and Ephesus and was taken prisoner and he refers to this ecstasy in the temple and to the command of the Lord to leave Jerusalem in the 22nd chapter of the Acts. Of this vision and command he informed St. Peter as the head of the apostolic college, and after consultation concerning his mortal danger, he was secretly sent to Caesarea and Tarsus with orders to preach indiscriminately to the Gentiles, which he did. The most blessed Mary was the instrument and mediatrix of all these miraculous favors. It was through her that her divine son operated them, and from her God received the proper thanks of the graces distributed to the whole church. 3.82 Having thus been reassured in regard to the life of St. Paul, the Most Blessed Mother entertained the hope that through the assistance of divine providence she might save the life of her cousin James, who was very dear to her and who is still in Saragossa protected by the hundred angels she had appointed for his guardians and companions in Granada. These holy angels frequently went back and forth, bringing the petitions of the apostles to the Most Blessed Mary and her counsels back to him. In this way, St. James learned of the sojourn of the great queen in Ephesus. When he had brought the or small temple of the pillar in Saragossa to a sufficient state of completion, he consigned it to the care of the bishop and the disciples appointed by him, here as in other cities in Spain. Some months after the apparition of the queen, he departed from Saragossa, continuing to preach through different provinces. Having come to Catalonia, he embarked for Italy, where, without much delay, he pursued his journey over land, always preaching until he again embarked for Asia, and ardently desiring to see there the Most Blessed Mary, his mistress and protectress. St. James happily attained his object and reached Ephesus. There he prostrated himself at the feet of the mother of his creator. Shedding copious tears of joy and veneration from his inmost heart, he thanked her for the peerless favors obtained at her hands from the Most High during his travels and his preaching in Spain, and especially for having visited him and conferred such blessings upon him during her visits. The Heavenly Mother, as Mistress of Humility, immediately raised him from the ground and said to him, My Master, remember thou art the anointed of the Lord and his minister, and that I am a humble wormlet. With these words the Great Lady fell on her knees and asked the blessing of St. James as a priest of the Most High. He remained for some days in Ephesus in the company of the Most Blessed Mary, and of his brother John, to whom he gave an account of all that had happened to him in Spain. With the most prudent mother during these days, he held most exalted colloquies and conferences, of which it will suffice to record the following. In order to prepare St. James for his leave-taking, the Blessed Mary one day said to him, James, my son, these will be the last few days of thy life. Thou knowest how deep I love thee in the Lord, and how I desire to raise thee to his intimate love and eternal friendship, for which he has created thee, redeemed, and called thee. In the few days that still remain of thy life, I desire to demonstrate to thee my love, and I offer thee all by my divine grace. I can do for thee as a true mother. To this exceedingly great favor, St. James responded with deepest veneration. My mistress and mother of God and Redeemer, from the bottom of my soul, I thank thee for this benefit, possibly only to thy unbounded charity. My lady, I beseech thee, give me thy blessing, that I may suffer martyrdom for thy son, my true God and Savior, if it is his will and for his glory. I beseech thee for my soul not to forsake me in the sacrifice of my life, but that I may see thee with my own eyes in my passage and that thou offer me as an acceptable victim in his divine presence. This concludes our reading today for day number 321. We've been reading from volume 4, book 8, chapter 1, paragraphs 374 to 384. Our reading today continues to remind us of Our Lady's interaction with the early church, especially by her prayers, by her sending of her angels, by the counsel that she gives. We also hear more about the sojourns of St. Paul and trying to place them all as we read about them in the Acts of the Apostles and from his letters as well. And then to see the relationship between St. Paul and the Apostles, because the Apostles still kind of had a fear or trepidation we heard today because of his past role in persecuting Christians. But as they come to know Paul and as they hear him and as they see his reverence, because he prostrated himself at the feet of St. Peter and kissed them in acknowledgement of his errors and sins and begged to be admitted as one of his subjects as a follower of his master. And he was willing to shed his blood, much like St. James, as he comes to Our Lady and says, I am willing to die. Give me your permission, dear Lady, to be a martyr for the faith. Our Lady has a great concern for the Apostles. We heard it again. Having thus been reassured in regard to the life of St. Paul, the Most Blessed Mother entertained the hope that through the assistance of Divine Providence, she might save the life of her cousin James, who was very dear to her and who is still in Saragossa. So now she begins her concern for the Apostle James. As Mary was so concerned about the apostles, let us ask her this day to pray for the successors to the apostles, for our Holy Father, and for our bishops. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the Mystical City of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you and Mary pray for you.